0: I'm uh, filled with um, a message concerning the witness of the Lord. If, you'll, if you were here on Wednesday nights, we've studied the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I want to reveal to you what I've grown to understand, what those letters to those churches were really all about. And uh, basically, what Christ is asking us to do and to be are his witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, how many of you remember that he said, tarry or wait in Jerusalem until you are endued uh, with power so that you will become my what? Witnesses. We need the power of the Holy Spirit within us. The outpouring of his dunamos, his dynamic life flow, rivers of living water, Flowing out of us. He doesn't need our programs. He doesn't need the best of our abilities. He needs more than that. He needs you to let go of the best of your abilities and operate in faith. Now, of course, we want to give our all. I understand that. But you know how much we govern the work of God by the efforts of our best abilities? He says, be endued with my power, then you will be my witnesses. If we're supposed to witness his life, it's his life that has to come out of us. And he said that the power of this witness will not only overtake Jerusalem, the city you live in, it will overtake the region of Judea, it will spread off into the far countries of Samaria, and it will go to the uttermost parts of the world. That within the 120 in the upper room, he said that this enduing of power, this endowment of power, is going to be enough to change this world by my present witness, and that's what he began to discuss then, as it went out into the world, and he spoke to the churches in the book of Revelation. Now what you'll see is that in the book of Revelation, there is a a vision that John has, and as he sees it, he sees Jesus, the high priest, mediating and interceding between those seven churches as they are seven lampstands. And he reveals in Revelation chapter 1 that the lampstands are those seven churches, And so we understand that the lampstands are the seven churches. Later on in the book of Revelation, we not only see the the witness of the church, but we see the witness of the two witnesses that were called by God. Now these two witnesses in Revelation 11.4 are also called lampstands. So what we've come to understand in the symbolism of the book of Revelation that the lampstands are witnesses. So the seven lampstands representing the seven churches are the witnesses for Christ in that region. It's the perfection, seven witnesses. The church is the witness. We're endued with power to be witnesses. And we are to witness, we are to declare, we are to manifest the presence of Christ in the earth. We're not only supposed to sing about Him. We're not supposed to have knowledge about Him. We are to be the witness of Him in the earth. We are to be as He is, says in 1 John. And so that presence is here. And so when Jesus writes His letter to the seven churches, He says, I know your works, I know your works, I know your works. Basically, in the symbolism of all that He's saying is, I know your witness I know your witness. I'm evaluating your witness. And to each of those seven churches, he's examining the brilliance of their witness, the illumination of the light of Christ in that region through the witness of the church. Let your light so shine. Don't hide it under a bushel. And how is the witness of Christ's community. How is the witness of the churches in Roseville and Detroit? How is the witness of the church in Michigan? How is the witness of the church in the United States? And see, so you can see within this letter that there are two churches he speaks drastic contrasts to. And he sees the witness of the church at Philadelphia and he says, well done, there's nothing wrong. He doesn't say anything negative about the church or the witness of the church in Philadelphia. And so to the church at Philadelphia, he says, therefore, I have set before you an open door. To be a witness, you must have an open door in the spirit. And interestingly enough, in the contrast of the last letter he writes to the church at Laodicea, who thinks they're brilliant, thinks they're glorious, he says they're blind, naked, and poor, and he evaluates their witness, and he says, you don't have a witness. And in fact, behold, I stand at your door and knock. I can't even witness in the church. So consider the symbolism here of an open door. To witness, you must have an open door. It's a spiritual act, a spiritual work. He said, tarry in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem. What do you think they did in that upper room? Bingo? Euchre? Festival? Carnival? That's what you'll find in the churches? what were they doing in the upper room praying 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 for what an open door an open door i've i've been to churches in china and in russia and in pakistan and i've been administered in china's uh, i'm sorry churches from korea korean churches and what I found significant, I found it in Pakistan, I found it in China, where there have been churches planted by Koreans. That above the, the uh, podium, the altar, there is a, a, a step up in the ceiling, always painted blue with clouds. And I asked, why? Why do you always have this? And they said, that's the open heaven, because Koreans know. And it is the heritage, and it is the, the heritage of the saints of Korea that, that in South Korea they busted a hole in the heavens to what was once a 2 3% of the population Christian to now where it's 80 to 90% Christian. They've taken the nation and the one reason why is they created an open door to heaven for salvation. I'm setting before you an open door, Philadelphia, you're my witness. And because you're my witness, I'm going to open a new door and every time the door is open, the witness goes further. But to Laodicea, he said, I can't even get in the door of your own house. Your witness is shut to me. If you let me in, what will I do? What will he do? He says, I will sup with you. I will eat with you. I will have fellowship with you. In the East, to sit and have a meal with someone is to have covenant with them, is to... Poor salt is, is to drink, is to eat. And if you'll remember the two on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus walked with them, he came into them and sat and dined and supped with them. And when he broke the bread, the witness became real as to the resurrected Christ. And he knew at this point he could leave because his witness was now in them. And they rejoiced at the risen Lord. And he says, church of Laodicea, I want to come in. My witness is absent in this church. I must come in and sup with you. But to Philadelphia, there's an open door. An open door. We need an open door. Is this the day? Is this the hour when the church must be a witness in this land, in this nation? God, I hope that there's enough of a witness here that He's saying to us, I am giving you an open door. I'm setting before you an open door instead of I'm knocking at your door. I am praying as a church that we will have an open door, that our witness is substantial enough, that we have sought Him and hungered after Him and thirsted, and we are going to begin to pray for an open door thank God for the witness of the Korean church to be a church known for opening the doors of heaven and witnessing to changing their nation well I want that now we know the keys to open the doors of heaven its prayer And so I want you to see these verses, Acts 14, 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had what? Opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Through the book of Acts, you're going to see that every time there is a witness and there are salvations and there are people coming to Christ, it's because the Lord has what? Opened a door when the church gathered. When they were in the upper room and gathered, when they prayed, when the church prays, when the people pray, when we gather together and seek heaven, the door opens. And as they gathered, the report was that God opened a door of faith to Gentiles. They were overwhelmed. The Gentiles were being saved. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.12 When I came to Troas, Paul says, to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. He was concerned as, as an apostolic uh, foundation layer that he needed his people gathered together. Timothy wasn't there. But the point being is that when he was there, the Lord had prepared what for him? Say it. Open An open door. But I've got to gather the church together. Listen, when God begins to open the doors, are you going to show up? Right? That's, that's what Paul said. I needed Timothy or Titus. He needed Titus here. He needed His disciples together. He needed His team together. He knew that the door meant it's time to get in. There's an open door. There is a timing in the Spirit for an open door. If there's ever been a timing, can you feel it? Can you know it? Now is the time. an open door, I'm feeling it in my spirit, I'm seeing it that even though we as Christians are being ridiculed, we are being mocked, we are being oppressed and set aside something's happening in the spirit, I'm seeing a witness I'm seeing things happen where there are more movies, there are more shows, there are more presentations of the gospel and it, it seems to me that when you pick a fight with the church, the Lord says come on And it begins to rise up. So it's stirring. And we've got to be ready. All you Tituses, all you Timothys, gather together. The door of faith is being opened. And with this door open, we've got to show up. So like Philadelphia, I so want to be ready to have a door set before me. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Let me remind you to continually stay steadfast in prayer. I'm sorry, I have to say it again. Continue what? Steadfastly in prayer. Stay it with me. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it. You have got to know when a door opens to go! Opportunity comes quickly. Not only is there going to come a great opening of a door into witnessing into this community, into this region, and into this nation, but also person to person. Stay in prayer. Stay in prayer. Be prayerful. Be mindful wherever you go. Today when you go to White Castle for your hamburgers, you go to Arby's or wherever you go, stay alert, stay prayerful because a door is going to open to you. Be watchful. How watchful? In the spirit. Your spirit's stirred. All of a sudden you hear the creaking of a door. That's your chance. Go for it. Go for it. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, Paul says, that God may what? Open Open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. This dude's locked up in jail and he's looking for open doors. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I can't pray right now because I'm just a little bit down in my situation. You need an open door. Pay attention to his situation. That open door can get you out of your situation. Stop looking at yourself and look for the open doors. Look for the open doors. The greatest uh, way to get out of a predicament is to look beyond yourself. And so we have to watch in prayer Be steadfast. And he said that God is going to open a door for the Word. Again, the witness. The witness. I need my witnesses. And so he says, can you be Philadelphia? I don't need a Laodicea. Laodicea doesn't even taste like me. I need you, Philadelphia. I need you to be ready. There's an open door I'm setting before you. Be watchful. Be steadfast. Gather together. Get ready, folks. It's coming. 1 Corinthians sixteen nine. A wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now, I like that Paul keeps relating his witness to an open door. Whatever territory he goes in, he says, pray with me, church, for an open door. He comes into another region and said, hey, I got an open door, but I don't got my guys with me yet. We got we to gotta get the timing right to get into this open door. He says, be watchful and steadfast in prayer that an open door may happen. Here he says, a wide door. Come on. I don't want a sliver. I don't want it to creak open. How many of you want a wide door open? For witness, for witness, for witness. I don't want to rearrange the church furniture anymore. I'm tired of people. Hey, God bless you for coming over. But I'm tired of people coming from the church down the street and rearranging from the other church down the street. The church isn't growing. Our witness isn't growing. We're just rearranging furniture. And that's not good enough. God bless you for being here. (laughs) Some of you are a new love seat, new sofa. We love you. Thank you for being here. Don't take it personal that I'm telling you to go away. I'm not. I'm saying get ready. There's an open door for a witness here. It's wide open. For what kind of service? Effective. Effective. How many of you want to start seeing this gospel being effective? I want to see it changing lives. I want to see lives changed. I want to see people brought out of drug addiction, brought out of sex addiction, brought out of their desperate state, brought out of the dead, and coming alive in Christ. An effective witness of a wide open door is open to me. But I want you to know something. When an enemy sees that the door is open, where do you think he'll gather himself? Where do you think the adversaries go when a a door opens Of the witness of the Lord. You see, something's happening in the heavenlies. Something's shaking in the heavenlies. And when the Lord begins to command a door open for effective witness in the Spirit, where do you think demons are watching? What do you think they're looking for? And where do you think they run to immediately? The open door of God's witness. That's why Paul had to wait for Titus. That's why Paul needed his men gathered around. That's why God wants you waiting to be endued with power from on high. That's why God needs his people filled with the Holy Spirit. Are we done arguing whether the power of baptism of the Holy Spirit is for us today or not? Is this a Pentecostal church or not? How long do I have to tell you that the gifts of the Spirit are now and effective and fervent? There's an open door. Are we going to walk through and debate whether there's demons or not? They'll chew you up and spit you out. Enough is enough. There's a door opening and guess where the enemy's going to gather. How many of you have ever seen uh, uh, movies and clips of uh, the, the beach front uh, in World War II when they're coming onto the beach at Normandy? And those... those those water vehicle tank armored things come up into the beaches and lower their doors, and soldiers come running out onto the beach, and where's the enemy? Picking them off. But did they stop? No. You flood that beach, you go and you take out the enemy, and he is fierce and ferocious at any open door. This isn't just some la, la, oh, well, I want revival. I can't wait to have revival. Revival's going to be fun. (laughs) It's going to be great. I'm going to feel good. And people are going to get all stirred up and healed and delivered. And the onslaught of the enemy is going to be like hell unleashed. I want revival too, but let's be sober about this. When the witness comes and the door opens, an enemy is going to come in. Don't you see what happens typically to these revivals? Something gets askew, something gets off. Why do you think they shut down and why do you think they fail? Because the adversaries are waiting at the open doors. So we must steward ourselves, we must be watchful in our prayers, we must be vigilant, we must be ready. God is bringing an open door, and so let's be a people who are ready for the open door. And so where there's an open door, there must be a sacrifice. God put this verse on my heart. I'll read it to you. It's please turn to Joel chapter 2 verse 17. We have a crisis in Israel in Jerusalem. And God is speaking to the priests in Joel chapter 2. God knows that uh, Israel is failing. Judah is failing. It's going to fall. And he says, I need my witness. I need Israel, my light to the nations. I need them to be ready. Joel's after Hosea. Joel chapter 2. He says this in verse 15 Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Is he serious? Look, even written in the law is that when someone gets married, they're exempt from military service for one year. He says... We're in too much of a crisis called the bridegroom and the bride. That's that's showing you that even though in His law He says you don't have to war, you don't have to fight, in this fight, show up. Bring the kids. Bring the children. You can't write off the children. Do they love Jesus? Do they have faith? Do they have the Holy Spirit in them? We're to be like children. And so we need to train up our children to war and to get ready and to witness. Amen? Amen. So he says, call a solemn assembly. Get it together, people. Get it together. That was the upper room, a solemn assembly. Get it together. Everybody come together. And Terry, I'm going to pour out so you'll be my witnesses. I'm going to give an open door. And he says this, verse 17, between the porch, the portico, the vestibule, and the altar. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not their heritage a reproach or an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Church in America, gather together, come together together. Why should this nation call Christians obsolete, post-Christian, of no value, of no purpose? Your God is nothing and offers us nothing. Why is that the testimony of the American church? Come together, my people, and let the priests, who are the priests? The church, we're the priests. And let the priests cry between the porch and the altar. Now where is the porch and the altar of the temple? What is the portico? Solomon's portico. It's right here. It is the door to the holy place. Unto the holy of holies. It is the door to the entrance of being in the presence of the Lord. It is prayer. It is prayer. It is prayer. It's the door to His entrance. And so he says, let the priests who minister in my presence weep from my door to the altar of sacrifice. Between that distance of my presence out into the place where you offer your lives and your sacrifices to me, I need a people who will weep. I need a people who will carry the burden of intercession for what you're sacrificing for. We've made our faith about us. We've made church about us. When we're here to be in His presence, in the doorway of heaven's gate, that we are receiving from Him so that we would go out there and offer the sacrifice of Christ to a dying world. It's not us versus them. It's us for them. And he needs a church who will once again weep for the intercession of the lost. Who will once again carry a burden that I can't go to bed tonight. Look at. I don't have to speak to you in this message. I'm broken over this message. I am ashamed of my witness in this message that I can go to bed sleeping fine without speaking to a lost soul in an entire day. Not encouraging someone to taste and see that God is good. Where is my witness? Where is my weeping between my time in prayer with the Lord? I pray and intercede for my day. I pray and intercede for people I know who need it. But how often do I pray and intercede for this dying world? And begin to weep and feel the burden of it. Jesus died for the sins of the world. There needs to be a sacrifice Rabbi Jesus taught his disciples to follow them. He said, these signs shall follow those who believe. A rabbi taught his disciples how to move and act and do everything he did. When he fed 5,000, he said, you do it. When he cleansed the lepers, he said, you do it. When he cast out demons, he said, you do it. He was training them for that. And when he went to the cross, he said, you too. We're not dying. We've got to go to the cross. We've got to sacrifice our lives, people. We'd love to thank Him for all that he's sacrificed for us. And He said, but when will you sacrifice for me? When will we lay our lives down to follow Rabbi? I want to do everything Rabbi Jesus did. I want to do all that He did. Am I willing to go and die? this is serious that's what i'm talking about i'm not talking figuratively this this wasn't figurative when you talked to the churches in the first few centuries when you say come and die i bid you to come and die follow christ this this wasn't let oh, that's just figurative you don't have to really give up anything when jesus told the rich young ruler go and sell everything oh well he really didn't mean that he just wanted to see if his intentions were good and that he would no he didn't qualify it at all When you found Christ, you don't need anything else. He's looking for followers who are serious. And the ultimate of our following is to lay down our lives, people. True disciples are ready. And so there must be weeping between the door and the altar. So this shows us that in this hour, God needs a church that is praying for open doors, that is steadfast in prayer for the witness to go forth and secondly is ready to lay their lives down as the sacrifice. We care that deeply as he called the priests in Joel to weep so intently when you lay the sacrifice down on the altar. We are never going to Know the weeping that He wants out of our heart until we know the weeping of His heart. He wants us to weep so that He understands His plans. He wanted the priests to weep because He wanted them to understand His plan for Israel. O Israel, O Israel, how I have longed to gather you unto my bosom. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem before he went to the altar. The high priest of Christ spent the night weeping, weeping in the door of his father's house. Weeping riding into Jerusalem in this final week of Easter. And as he's approaching, he's weeping before he will ascend to the altar of God, O Israel, the true high priest who wept before the altar. Will we, his church, weep? Will we cry? Will we pray for the open door? And will we weep unto the place of our sacrifice? What do I mean by a sacrifice? We'll start at the top, your life. And we'll work back from there. Your time, your efforts, your words, your witness. Day to day, God put you in a job so that you could sustain your life and use that finance as a witness to the world. He's given you relationships, marriages, children, so that you will sustain them as a witness on how a marriage should look like in Christ to a dying world. He sustained you in your life. He's called you to live where you're living and work where you're working. But He's saying, Would you lay down your life for me? Would you witness at work? Would you witness when you eat? Would you witness when you go along the road? Would you lay down a sacrifice? Would you give your words to me? And so I believe with all my heart, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I believe with all my heart that we are on a precipice. We are at an open door. And so now the proof is in the pudding, as they say. I have no idea where that came from. I guess you eat it and see if it's any good. Just like Jesus tasted Laodicea to see if it was any good of a witness. Do we taste like Christ? Because when this door opens, I know it's opening. I know it's coming. I've heard enough prophetic words. I've been told over and over by people who don't know me in places apart from here saying, brother, what's going on with your house? What's going on? God is doing something. There's something coming powerfully. It's coming. The door is coming. But are we gathered for it? Are we ready for it? And then the enemy is gathering too. And the only way to overcome him is to die to self, is to weep between the door and the sacrifice. Let us pray together and ask God for a spirit of intercession.